My dear friends in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You ever wished that you were invisible? Hmm? Probably, you know? Like when, think back to when you were in school and the teacher or the professor is looking around the room to call on someone to give a synopsis of the chapter that you were supposed to have read, but somehow it just kind of slipped your mind and their eyes start to settle on you. Yeah, exactly. Or maybe immediately after that embarrassing thing that you just did or said and you wish you could just crawl under a table somewhere. Or if you're like me, kind of an introvert, when the pastor says, now turn to your neighbor and tell them about the most embarrassing thing that ever happened to you. Yeah. Sometimes invisibility does sound like a, a cool option, the ability to move about undetected, the ability to disappear at will. But it'd be one thing to choose invisibility. It'd be quite another to have it thrust upon you, to be treated as unseen, unheeded, unnoticed, as having little or no value to be on the receiving end of behavior that we would describe as ghosted. Do you know what it means to be ghosted? <laughs> on social media, it means when someone just stops, you know, responding to your queries, to stop answering your text, to stop answering your emails, just kind of cut off all relationship with you. Now, that would be another thing altogether. Such would seem to be the case with our anti-hero in this story, Zacchaeus, whose name, by the way, literally means innocent. Hang on to that. It's important. Innocent. The wee little man we know from children's Bible story fame. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Remember that one? You learn it in Bible school, yeah. Whose vertically challenged stature forced him into climbing a sycamore tree in order to catch a glimpse of Jesus as he passed through Jericho. I imagine one of the main reasons that the story has always been featured prominently in kids' Bibles is because so many kids get it, you know? They can relate to what it's like to be short and next to invisible as they live their lives amidst a sea of adult legs and really go unheard most of the time unless they're screaming or crying, which is why they scream or cry, right? Exactly. The invisibility of wee little Zacchaeus is familiar to a lot of children. But if you dig into this story, you discover Zacchaeus' small stature is probably nothing less than a, a very clever device on the part of the storyteller to emphasize just how invisible he actually is to his neighbors, to the people around him. See, Zacchaeus would have been a Jewish man hired by the Roman government occupying Israel to collect their tax from his fellow Jews. He was allowed to keep a percentage of what he extracted from the citizens of Jericho, and apparently he made a pretty good living doing it, right? Luke tells us that he was a chief tax collector and he was rich. He knew what he was doing. He was good at it. Now, Luke knew his audience well, and he knew exactly what they would have been thinking 
when he wrote that little description of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was very rich. It would be like me explaining to someone to you, describing him and saying, oh, and by the way, he was a career politician, and he was rich. Now, all of a sudden, you got in your mind an image, right? And you've got that reputation of that person established before I even mention who it might be. Remember our parable from just last week about the tax collector and the Pharisee praying in the temple, you know? When Luke uses that term tax collector, it's just another stand-in word for villain. You know, he knew that that's what they would be thinking when he wrote it. The citizens of Jericho, as well as the audience to whom Luke tells his story, are thinking the same thing about our little tax collector. He's a traitor to his people. He's a sellout who was getting wealthy on the backs of his own. He's a non-entity. He's a zero. He's a cipher. Invisible, except as a pain in their backside, right? And not only that, but obviously then beyond the grace of God. After all, he was rich. And didn't Jesus in the Gospel of Luke just get done saying that it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven? Yeah, look back one chapter from this story, and there it is, 18, chapter 18. But isn't it also the same Jesus who, when asked, well, then who can be saved, said what? Well, with people, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible, right? But Zacchaeus, it looks like, is toast. Deserves no doubt to be ghosted. But there's this hunger inside a rich little Zacchaeus for something other than invisibility or scorn, and he's wondering. He's wondering if Jesus just might be the answer to that hunger. Maybe Jesus, if he is who people say he is, will finally be able to see him, Zacchaeus, for the man he is tries to be, wants to be, maybe Zacchaeus can escape his reputation and in essence kind of be born all over again in being seen. Have you ever felt invisible? Like people have put you inside of a box, you know? They know something about your past and then because of that, that's the only way they'll ever see you and it's really hard to escape that reputation no matter how hard you try. And you just wish that someone would actually see you, acknowledge you, know you, know what's in your heart. Huh? Then maybe you wouldn't be invisible anymore. I've mentioned in many sermons about what happened to me when I was a junior in high school, how my folks decided without asking me to move, <laughs> you know, to a different high school, different town. And at first I thought the sky had fallen on my head, but then it occurred to me, you know, hey, maybe if those kids at that new school don't know me from the time I was the nerd dragging my violin case to school in third grade because I had to go to violin lessons after class and, you know, I was just that kind of that bookworm person and the musician and just kind of kept to myself. Maybe I could reinvent myself, you know, and be something else. Maybe I could finally get a date, you know, because <laughs> I wouldn't be invisible anymore. I could be something new. 
Well, fortunately for Zacchaeus, his invisibility in the story is matched by somebody with x-ray vision, apparently, because Jesus is able to look through that crowd, and he's able to see Zacchaeus up there. He says, come on down. I'm going to go eat at your house today. An incredible honor for an invisible anti-hero. And the crowd, of course, grumbles the way they always grumble whenever Jesus starts seeing people, that they would just as soon remain invisible. He's gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner, they say. And this is where I think we usually kind of muck up this story a little bit with our own agendas. We read it as those Zacchaeus somehow overwhelmed with Jesus' attention and shamed by the crowd labeling him a sinner, that he repents. And he now promises to kind of turn over a new leaf, give back half of what he has taken, give back to the poor, and if he's ripped anybody off to restore fourfold what he's taken. And because of that repentance then, Jesus promises him another shot at life. But it's interesting, when you read this story, this is the one story that my years of suffering through Greek classes in college and seminary really pay off because all the verbs that Zacchaeus uses in the Greek are present tense verbs. They are not future tense. It's not Zacchaeus saying, I will do this in the future now that you've done this for me. He's saying, I do this. I give half of what I make back to the poor. If I find out I've defrauded anybody, I restore it fourfold. Maybe Zacchaeus isn't who a lot of people think he is. Maybe in his heart he's really trying, you know, to live like a child of Abraham. It's interesting, uh, as an aside, if you go back in the Gospel of Luke to the third chapter, where John is doing his baptism thing at the River Jordan before Jesus has even begun his ministry, we read there, that even the tax collectors were coming to him to be baptized. And they were asking him, Teacher, what should we do? And John said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. And I've wondered, could Zacchaeus have been among that group that came? Could he have been one whose heart was actually ardently seeking to do better, to be better? Hmm? And if so, it makes Jesus' response, I think, all the more powerful here. He doesn't at all imply that his regard for Zacchaeus has anything to do with Zacchaeus promising to turn over a new leaf. He simply says, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a child of Abraham. He too is one of us. He too is beloved of God. Someone has finally seen into Zacchaeus and seen there child of the promise. Perhaps even a man who was trying, you know, in his own stilted, halting, compromising way to be what God has made him to be. And Jesus sees him and restores him to visibility, no longer invisible, no longer ghosted. In other words, restored to his proper place as a person of worth for whom Jesus came to die. On this Reformation Sunday, we remember Martin Luther, his call, along with the call of many reformers before him and after him, to start taking the Apostle Paul seriously when he wrote in his letter to the Romans that we are justified, 
we are put right with God by God's grace as a gift. Jesus doesn't wait to love us until somehow our spectacular living makes us visible to Him. Neither is He waiting to retract the gift and ghost us unless we straighten up and fly right. The one who sees you washes away the old story that others have told about you, the story that you have too often told to yourself, that you are not a person of worth, that God couldn't possibly love you. Today we celebrate our place in the family of faith where we are visible to the God who sees, the God who forgives sin, the God who raises the dead. Thanks be to God. Amen.